This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. still in the in the midst of some segues where we're doing some talking shop sessions where I'm interviewing all types of, of UXers at different stages of their career with regard to different topics and we I've been doing some UX potpourri today's episode is on the line of potpourri but in a sense because we're segueing but I am going to cover a specific topic on tonight I want to talk about a couple things uh, in general, but it hit me when I was thinking about what I was going to record this week. It hit me to take a look at one of the blog posts that I have out there. And for those of you that listen to the show and don't know, I do post, I have a channel on Medium and it's called UX Uncensored. The URL, I should say, is uxuncensored.medium.com. You can go out there. I've got book recommendation lists. I've got various things that are similar to the types of things that I talk about on this show on a regular basis. And there was one post that I shared this past week that resonated with a lot of people. So I want to cover that topic. I'm going to insert a couple other things that that are not necessarily in that blog post, but uh, I want to make sure to cover the topic tonight of overcoming UX misdirection. We, we're in a, a really awkward stage today. When I think about UX and where we are, how things are going, is it a great discipline? Yes. Is it a good time to be in a discipline? It's always a good time to be involved in anything pretty much. What we need to know and understand, though, to make sure that we're not falling privy to toxic positivity is that no matter how good things are, and let me qualify that by good, can you find jobs? Yes. It will always be challenging. So we can't say that a challenging time in finding a job makes it a bad time. It's actually always challenging. So when you find something in the midst of all the challenges, celebrate it. It, it it's great, but it's still an awkward time in that there is, in the midst of all the jobs and in the midst of a, a massive uptick in UX positions, um, there's a lot of things that offset the, the, the things that we could say really put the discipline on the map and, and are really reasons for celebration. We have to stay balanced. We have to stay even keel. We have to stay sober-minded because in the midst of all the things that we could celebrate, there are challenges. There are problems, and that's why I talk about all the things that I talk about on this show, because if you approach UX from a standpoint where all you want to do 
is look at the cotton candy and the butterflies and the unicorns, so to speak. These other issues that I bring up are the things that will come back and bite you. And so if you're not aware, you will not be in a position to navigate it. You can be taken for a loop. You can become overly frustrated. So it's better to know that there's construction on the road, if I can use that metaphor. It's better to know that there's an accident that you need to navigate around. When we're on a journey, we don't just need to know how to get from point A to point B, but we need to know if there are any hiccups en route to point B from point A and then do the right things so that we always make our journey optimal. So, And that's sort of where the the blog post, the topic of overcoming UX misdirection came from because I am in the business of making sure to, to really in, keep people informed about these different things that are going on some people will say, well, you're being a Debbie Downer. I say, okay, well, you, I'll, I'll continue being what you classify as a Debbie Downer. You continue with that mindset that you have, and let's see how far you get, and let's see how far uh, I get and the people who embrace these things get. Because the people who are in denial, and that other way is paved with denial, is paved with toxic positivity, is paved with rose-colored glasses, and it's paved with a whole lot of frustration and a whole lot of, of carelessness, a whole lot of frivolity and things of that nature. We don't want to be in that in that state. And I know people who used to be like that, and they say, you know, I'm glad I finally started listening. And they started having success, and they started being able to navigate the, the potholes and the pitfalls and things of that nature. So I'm saying these things to preface what I'm going to get into today because I, I want to give people hope, but that hope has to be grounded. It has to be realistic. And so that way, the hope that you have is not going to turn into this thing where you end up with a mouthful of gravel, so to speak, because you were happy about it. And then you found out that you were, you got fooled by something or you were happy, but there were some things that you didn't consider and you could have considered them and you would have been better off. So uh, again, prefacing. Let's get into this topic a little bit. And again, I'll talk about a couple things that if you go to see this blog post, you won't hear me talk about these things in the blog post. The first thing we want to do, since we're talking about UX misdirection, is we want to define UX and then talk about what misdirection is. So I'm going to give you three of my favorite definitions of UX. One of them I, I came up with, and then two I got from, from some other sources. I'll let you know what those sources are. But I also want to, I need to define what misdirection is. What do I mean by that? So first, definitions. The first definition, and this comes from the noted expert, Susan Weinshank. Uh, she's a pioneer in the field. She's great. If you never tapped into her books or or looked at her resources, you're you're missing a treat because she has a lot of fantastic things to share, and she's done a lot of fantastic things for the discipline. One of the things that a lot of up and comers in the discipline don't do is tap into the pioneers. If you really want to go further in UX, you have to tap into the pioneers. Identify who they are. Susan Weinshank, Don Norman. I know some people are fussing about Don Norman right now, but if you really go and look into the situation that has come up with Don Norman, go and look for it. You won't have a hard time finding it. It actually reeks of, of trolling. And a lot of people who don't have certain levels of experience or acumen are always in the business of doing whatever they can to make somebody 
who is well well versed in the discipline look bad to try to make us look irrelevant and remove us from the picture. And of course, they become the the, the option. They become the alternative. Oh, uh, oh who, who knew, right? So it, it reeks of, of trolling. So I'm, I'm just saying that Don Norman deserves the benefit of the doubt. Don Norman deserves to be, if, if you're concerned about anything you heard about what Don Norman said or did, why don't you just reach out to the to the man and ask him what he had to say and hear what he has to say and what he meant by things that he said before you start some kind of witch hunt and then believing what people say and taking it at face value. That, that's just a wrong thing to do. So at any rate, pioneers in the field, Don Norman, Jesse James Garrett, Christina Wadke, Lou Rosenfeld, Peter Morville, Kelly Goto. Uh, th- there are so many of these people. Nathan Shedroth. Uh, Richard Saul Werman, these people have written books. These people have done a lot of great things. And if you really want to understand UX from its from its inception, you got to go back and look at the people who were doing things that laid the foundations for what we're doing today. A lot of people are doing things today and presenting themselves as experts and influencers and go-to people when it comes to UX and the things that they say and do actually they refute the things that were said and done before things that have already been proven to work. Uh, that's not good. And you won't find people in other disciplines that do things like that. Will they build upon what somebody else did? Yes. Sometimes they may say, Hey, person a said this. I really don't think that's the way to go. I think we should do this instead. That actually is okay. But but you're still acknowledging the people that went before you and you're innovating, then that's fine. But don't refute what these people did. So uh, at any rate, back to Susan Weinshank's definition. She defines UX as the science and art. Please note those things. The science and art of designing a product, a service, or an experience with a brand from end to end. Notice there's nothing said there about visuals. There's nothing said they're about tools. A lot of people are are actually uh, making it seem like UX is all about the tools. This UX is tool agnostic. It's not about the tools at all. So UX involves science, and it does involve whether people like it or not. It does involve art to some extent. It's a combination of the two. Again, and it's all about that science and art of designing a product, service, or an experience. That's what we do. Some people will even say, you can't design an experience. You can lay out an experience as best you can and account for the different paths that people are going to take. So, yeah, you can design an experience. So it is funny the things that people choose to to uh, make issues out of. Yeah, you can design it. When you design something, you, uh, a, a user experience, you are designing an experience. You are trying to make sure that things are optimal. You're trying to make sure things are intuitive. You're trying to and get engaged in error and risk mitigation. That is design, and they are going to have an experience. So, yeah, we, we are designing an experience. You know, pe- Let people go there, but um, the truth is always in the pudding. The second definition comes from a company called Toptal. Uh, they are Topto is really uh, it, it's short for top talent. They are a recruiting agency. They hire UXers and place them at different companies. Um, they had a nice definition. I'm, I'm not speaking in support of Topto, and I'm not saying they're I'm not saying they're good or bad. But their definition is great. 
And the definition says that UX design is essentially about enhancing customer satisfaction and loyalty by delivering a positive experience at all the touch points a customer experiences when interacting with a brand or company. It's very holistic. Both of them are, these definitions, very holistic, but that is really what UX is. That That's what it's all about. Now, before I get to the third definition and the one that I created, please know and understand there are probably no fewer than two to 300 definitions of UX, and you can embrace any of them at almost any given time. And this is when we start to get into misdirection, if you will, because people will try to find one definition and say that UX is that and that it's nothing else. Uh, but actually, misdirection, it, it's about sending people in different directions, different trajectories, sending them chasing after different things that really is, it detracts from what we are supposed to be focused on. That, that's what misdirection is. The, everybody should be looking up and misdirection will try to get you to look down. Um, you should be looking to the east or the west and misdirection will try to get you to look somewhere else, always away from where we should be focusing. So when I say UX misdirection, that's what I'm focused on. Some people say, well, Darren, why don't you talk about the tools? And why don't you talk about information architecture? Why don't you talk about, well, you know what? If I talked about those things and you never understand UX misdirection, guess what you're going to become the victim of? You guessed it, UX misdirection. You need to know what the different challenges are. You need to know what we're up against and you need to know where our focus is supposed to be so that you can exercise discipline and maintain said focus. That's the only way that we really survive. So that, that gives you the definition of what I mean by UX misdirection. And we'll get into a few more things here in a few moments. My definition of UX, UX refers to the discipline or set of disciplines that a UX professional employs to find the sweet spot between user goals, business goals, and various types of constraints. Folks, UX is not just one thing. It is a group of things that we do to accomplish a set of goals. Uh, no matter what it is that you're doing, UX is about that. And it's going to vary from company to company what you use, what you engage with in order to accomplish the task or tasks at hand. No matter what it is, it's still UX. And so, we need to understand that. So as you can see, I don't embrace one definition. I never will. There's somebody else is going to come out with a definition. And then one day I'm going to say, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I like it. That's a, an accurate description of what we do as UX professionals. And I'll just add that to the, to the, to the roster, to the repertoire. And then we'll, we'll refer to it when it helps to communicate what's going on with UX to whoever it is that I'm trying to, to interact with. So don't, don't get, I would definitely say, don't get caught up with just one definition. If there's one that helps you at a given time, fine. But it's a matter of time before you hear another definition of UX that's going to work. Now, all those things said, please know that that definition of UX that says that UX is a mindset is extremely amateurish, flat out. It, it, it's amateurish. You know, I don't mince words on this podcast, and I'm not going to mince words now. It's amateurish, 
it, it, it actually distracts and yes, you got it. It engages in misdirection because now when you look at and consider that UX is a mindset, what happens to all of the, the techniques and the methods and the methodologies? What happens to them? They're gone because all you have to have is a mindset. Uh, no, no, that does not work. Again, it's amateurish. It's something that's most likely to be embraced by people who don't know what a lot of people who have more experience know. And so it's simple to them. And so they embrace it. But just because it's simple doesn't make it accurate. And just because it's complicated doesn't make it accurate. But if you'll notice the definitions I gave you, none of them are overly complex and none of them are overly simplified. But they are all accurate, and, and that's what we should be striving for. If you are a user experience professional, accuracy should always be a core driving factor in the things that you do. If, if a person is saying that they are a UX professional and they have no heart for accuracy, there's a problem. There's a problem. That, that's going to call to question the solutions that you recommend. It's going to call to question what you do from a research perspective. It's going to call to question what you claim to be heuristic. Accuracy is critical, so we want to make sure that we are embracing accuracy. So that said, I want to talk about five things that I listed in the blog post, and then I want to wrap up by talking about another element that I've been witnessing in the last week, which really led to this show being recorded, and and it's really nothing but a, a misdirection, which gaslighting, by the way, is a type of misdirection, and there's some people are gaslit on an individual level, and then sometimes there's a, a broader or a corporate type of gaslighting that takes place when people try to get folks to rally for a particular cause. And I'm getting ahead of myself, so we'll get back to that in a few moments. So in this post, in this blog post, the first thing I do is talk about the definition of UX. And then I talk about, I, I say that, I'm, I'll explain why I'm asking, but let's talk about what UX is from a definition perspective. We've done that. And then let's talk about what it's not. So that's where we're going to go now. There are five things I want to present that UX is not. And that will help drive this this particular episode home. Number one, and I already touched on this for a brief moment. A lot of people think that UX is about aesthetics. They think that UX is about making something look good and that our main concern and main point of focus is making things look good. This is why you see a lot of product designer positions today, and you don't really know what's going on in some UX positions, and you don't know what's going on in some product design positions because the title doesn't really reflect what a person might be doing in their day-to-day operation. But on average, a product designer is a person who's really, it's the, the attempt of many companies and many people trying to oversimplify what UX is and then just turn it into an order taker role that is focused on nothing but the aesthetics. And then they say that, okay, well, you you said that it's not aesthetics, but I'm a product designer and that's all I work on. That's because (laughs) your job title doesn't mean anything. What are you doing? If you're just working on aesthetics, you're a UI professional. You're not a UX professional. And product designer is just some pretty title that people are throwing out there because it's embraced by the masses as being associated with UX. But the truth of the matter is, if you're not talking to users, if you're not 
engage in user-centered principles, if you're not doing research, if you're not embracing heuristics, if you're not embracing interaction design, best practices, things of that nature, you're just doing stuff, you're just designing stuff, then you're not really truly doing UX, not with regard to what UX really is. I'm reminded of the research that vitamin T did a few years ago. I talk about it from time to time. And they said that 97% of websites basically are designed incorrectly. There are the experiences are not done properly. And that's because there's a lot of people that either are not doing true UX work or they're doing it and then their stakeholders and their clients aren't listening to them. So this, this is a problem. Folks, we're not here to just make things pretty. We're here to make sure that things are intuitive. We're here to make sure that there's optimal cognition. We make sure that things are easy to use. Pretty is not our focus. And, and pretty goes away quick. Yes, Don Norman did say that people are in a, in a position and willing to forgive when there's problems in the user experience, when things are more aesthetically pleasing. But really, is that justification? Don't take his words and then, and then twist them. He's not saying that we can prioritize aesthetics over usability and then want to tell ourselves that we've succeeded. No, why not put forth the effort to make sure that our experiences are sound? That's where we should be going. So UX is not about aesthetics, number one. Number two, this is a big one. Uh, right, the biggest one is one that's been a problem for the longest. UX is not UI. When you see UI, UX, and UX, UI, people are confused. When when you see companies doing it, that usually is a, a red flag that a company has some uh, UX maturity issues, that they're not very mature, because UX, UI are not interchangeable, so you can't say UX, UI. That's what the slash is for. In many cases, it means that they're interchangeable. Some people think that the slash means that these two things come together, but UX is a is a really a bringing together of, wow, I mean, anywhere from 125 to 150, at least, different methods, methodologies, techniques, and things of that nature, so what were you going to call it, UX slash IA? UX slash research, are you going to do that? Because those things are part of UX. No, it's just UX. UI is a subset of UX, and there are parts of it that are that are very connected with what's going on from a UX perspective. And then there's certain parts of the user interface. That's what UI is short for. There are certain parts of the user interface that are all about visual design. We're not visual designers at all, and so. It's really funny how, how people get these things all, all mixed up. These acronyms are not interchangeable. So you want to make sure that when you're talking about UX, if you have that in your title, I had it in my title before, and I wasn't taking a stand for that. And, and at the time, I wasn't really thinking about it, and in a sense, didn't care. But I came to understand that it's problematic. It really detracts from the perception of UX, and it causes people to see us in a light that they should not see us in. If you want UX to succeed, you have to always labor to make sure that it is perceived properly. So UX is not UI. That's number two. Number three, UX is not just one thing. I mentioned this earlier. It's made up of a whole ton of techniques, a 
whole ton of methods and methodologies. When, when, when you take 10 people that say UX, I mentioned this in the blog post, you take 10 people that say UX, if they don't take the time to be specific, you really have no idea what they're talking about uh, when they're talking about UX. So, uh, it, and it depends on who you're talking to. But UX is not just one thing. There, there are a lot of things that are going on when somebody says UX. And so uh, you, you just don't know. Uh, people say that they're a UX designer. Today, people say they're a UX writer. People say that they're UX researchers. And you can talk to these people. And I've seen instances where the people who were saying this, none of them know what UX is. And they just say it because they like it. People like having UX in their title is sexy. It, it makes them sound more important. It's a thing that they're going after. It makes them sound like they're they're more of a professional than really what they bring to the table. So, folks, UX is not just one thing. Please know and understand that. And all of us will have different perceptions of what is included in UX across our careers. And as we grow in our acumen, as our skill and our knowledge increases and improves, what we consider to be UX will be growing as well. So keep that in mind. Again, UX is not just one thing. When somebody says UX, they're not just talking about one thing. They're talking about a whole host of things and folks need to know that. Number four, UX is not design thinking. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of people who think that it is. There are a lot of companies that engage in design thinking and they actually intend on making design thinking their UX approach. Design thinking usually has certain methodologies, certain processes, I should say, that are associated with it. A lot of times it revolves around having some type of a, a design sprint or a set of workshops or things of that nature. And UX is not turning into this cookie cutter process, it, it, it will always remain what it always has been, a set of method, methodologies and techniques that people are using in order to achieve a goal. Now, I know some people who are extremely adamant about not being involved in design thinking and not giving it any time of day, but I have to, to throw caution to the wind a bit because there are aspects of design thinking that could be made to work with a UX operation. And I know some people don't feel that way. Well, the question is, and I said this in a talk I did about design processes recently, the, you'll see this, you'll find it online uh, on YouTube. The talk was called Design Processes Are Overrated. And it's that no matter what process you use, the funny thing is you all end up at the same destination. You all end up at a place where you're deploying a solution, no matter what process you use. Now, also, something else I mentioned in that talk, that you can talk to 10 people about design thinking and you will get 10 different explanations because people are not clear about UX and people are not in general and people are not clear about design thinking either. So, but I have found there are things that you can do with regard to design thinking where if you manage it properly and you're managing your UX maturity level properly, there are ways to in integrate some aspects of design thinking, especially when you work for a company where someone has made it mandatory, there's going to be some design thinking in this operation. When that happens, you have to find a, made, a way to make it work. And there are ways to make it work. So I would challenge people to make sure when you're in one of those settings, give design thinking a chance, but make sure that you stay on top of it and don't allow any design thinking initiatives to corrupt 
what it is that you're doing, what uh, what I refer to as pure UX. Don't allow design thinking to corrupt pure UX because if that happens and UX gets shelved in its pure sense, you're not going to be able to deploy anything that's really that you're going to be proud of and that customers and stakeholders and clients are actually going to be happy with. So, so keep that in mind. But um, I like to personally take advantage of the time. I'm going to have stakeholders together for a week, for X amount of time, however long your workshops are. Take advantage of that time. They're just subject matter experts. They're just SMEs. So aren't you going to talk to SMEs anyway? Well, now you got them for a fixed period of time. Take advantage of that. Get the information you need from them. Make sure as the UX person, if you're engaged in design thinking, make sure that you're still driving the car. There are other people in the car, but you make sure that you keep your hands on the wheel so that UX can be executed the right way, no matter what the processes or methodologies are. So that's my take on that. But in general, UX is not design thinking and design thinking isn't UX. So make sure you remember that. Number five, UX is not UX if the U is stricken. What do I mean when I say that? The U in UX stands for user. And I've said this before, I say it again. I've heard people say, we gotta stop calling it user experience because only people who call users or call their customers users are drug dealers. And I'm not a drug dealer, never been a drug dealer, never known a drug dealer. I just know conversations I've seen and heard different things over my lifetime. And I've ta- I know people who've talked to people who are in these positions. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've seen and heard of things over the course of my lifetime. Drug dealers do not call that we got to talk about this, folks. Sorry if it's a tad morbid, but we got to talk about it. I'm not the person who introduced it. Somebody else did. Drug dealers do not call their customers users. Um, the people who are using your products and services and solutions, well, they're using it, right? Okay, so it, they were called users for short. And that was it. And it's funny, and this is going to transition us into that one bonus element I want to talk about. Uh, It stands for users. If you don't, let's not play a game where we're worried about this vernacular, where we're reducing this to, to, to just different nomenclature. Nomenclature is important, but if, if we're going to sit here and play, play games as opposed to trying to drive something that's legitimate, um, let, let's, let's not get pulled into that because we'll end up splitting hairs and splitting hairs doesn't work. It's good to be detail oriented from an anal perspective, but it's not good to be anal retentive. So if we start worrying about semantics instead of worrying about what something really means, there is no profit in that. And so we need to make sure that we're paying attention. But that said, if what you're doing does not involve insights from actual users, you're just guessing. You're just guessing. The best you'll be able to do is bring some heuristics into it. And heuristics are proven principles, best practices, uh, common conventions, things that we know work, that we can put into a design because we know that people see it. We're leveraging what people do and experience across the board. We're putting that into our design. So it, it has some user-centered components associated with the mindset behind that design. But some people are trying to design, I don't need to talk to users, that's the mindset. I know my users, that's the mindset. Or they'll just say, well, I would do it like this. But you're not your user. So UX involves users. 
if you're not engaging with users, you may have the title UX professional, you may tell everybody you're a UX professional, but unless what you're doing involves insights from users, it's not UX. So those are five things. It's not aesthetics, UX is not UI, UX is not just one thing, UX is not design thinking, neither is design thinking UX, and if you don't engage with users and have data from users, what you're doing isn't UX. Or you're doing design work, but it's not, it's not UX. And now we end up in the equivalent of an art gallery where you have a bunch of subjective works that are being done. Well, this isn't an art gallery. People actually have to use it. You ever seen a Picasso painting? Does it really make sense to you? No, it doesn't. Can you imagine that sometimes when people use things, when they use different solutions and applications and websites and, and even, whether even hardware, things of that nature, that sometimes people, it's like dealing with a Picasso painting. You're, you're looking at it, you see it, but you have no idea what to do. We need to make things work better than a Picasso painting. It, it's not time to bring subjectivity into the things that we're rolling out. It needs to be something where we understand the mental models of the people that are going to be using our solutions and things of that nature and make sure that we reflect those mental models in our designs and that way they work. So those are the five. Here's the bonus element and it piggybacks off of that last one and it has to do with semantics. There was a discussion that popped up on LinkedIn last week where people were saying that the phrase dark patterns is something that we should stop using because the word dark, uh, bringing focus to that word, that the word dark is actually offensive to some people. Now, I happen to be someone that would be considered to be of darker complexion. In my skin, I have a heavy melanin content. I jokingly call it melaninitis at times because people treat you like being darker is a disease. But, and you might get a chuckle out of that, and I get a chuckle out of it. It's okay to laugh. But I started thinking when I heard that, the first time I heard it, I'm going, Okay, that's awkward. A dark pattern is a dark pattern. It, it's, it's different types of approaches used in design to manipulate users to try to get them to do something that they really don't want to do or to try to get them to think that they're doing one thing when they're actually doing another. The bottom line is that the cus or the, the company benefits when the user actually follow suit with whatever the dark pattern is trying to get them to do. So if you don't know what the dark pattern is, I did one episode on that, uh, but that's the really quick and dirty uh, explanation of what dark patterns are. Um, I know what a dark pattern is. I'm not offended at all by the phrase dark patterns. There are a ton of statements, phrases, monikers in the world that bring in the word dark or black, that is just the way it's described. It doesn't mean that, and nor is it focused on people with dark complexions of skin. It's not meant to be a reflection of us in any way, form, or fashion. Somebody is simply trying to communicate a point. And for some reason, some people decided that when someone brought this up and then somebody else said, yeah, and it became a bandwagon thing. And some people don't even know what a bandwagon is. And, and they're on the bandwagon. They don't even know what they're writing. It's become a bandwagon topic that has come up. But folks, it's nothing more than UX misdirection. 
now a bunch of people are trying to address this dark patterns thing and how we need to call it something else when really the more important thing is to learn what constitutes a dark pattern and make sure that you're advocating for the users and that these things, these principles are not showing up, these methods, these manipulations, make sure that they're not showing up in the things that you designed. Isn't that more important? Are we really gonna drown ourselves in semantics? And I find it really interesting that people who are not dark, people who this supposedly is offending, and no, it's not, and a lot of other dark people say it, doesn't offend me, doesn't offend me. I mean, like, over 90% of the people that I interacted with had no idea, and the only person who didn't was someone that another person talked to and said that they were taken aback. And I said, I bet you that person doesn't have much experience in UX, because if they did, there's no way in the world that you would take something as supposedly minuscule as that and then exalt it to make it a top five issue of something that needs to be straightened out in UX. It does not. It, one of my close peers had even said, well, I just don't want to do anything that, that offends anybody. Oh, good luck with that. Because if you try to order your life based on every time somebody is supposedly offended by something, you're going to be tied up all in knots because today people are offended, they're hypersensitive, and they're offended about everything. So no, what's the truth of the thing? What, what, what does it really mean? What is a dark pattern? Go do a survey. Are dark people really concerned? No, we're not. You know, forget about the dark patterns thing. You want, you, are you really, really, really sensitive about not offending or making sure that you treat dark complexion skin properly? Might it be a better idea to maybe treat dark people right when they're in the, when, when we are in uh, the, the interviewing process and we're being uh, considered for jobs that we not be discriminated against? Do you think that just maybe it would be better and more important that, that when we're in a meeting and, and we share an idea that somebody not take our idea and steal it for their own, that maybe that might be more important? Do you think that these things have more weight? There are so many things that are happening in UX, dark complexion or dark whatever aside, there are so many things today that are happening in UX that deserve our attention, our effort, our energy, than that. And it's not even a thing. And people that are not dark are trying to tell dark people what to be offended by. And that in and of itself is, is an offensive approach. Because now we don't, you trying to tell us that we don't know what's offensive? People have been speaking for us for years. You can't speak for us. And you certainly are not speaking for me. And you're not speaking for anybody that I know. It's a dark pattern, folks. Get over it and don't allow, don't become victimized by misdirection where you start focusing on things that are not worth the, the air that's coming out of somebody's mouth when they're talking about it. Don't be misdirected as we begin to wrap up here where you start to view UX as if it's only about aesthetics.
Don't be misdirected to think that UX and UI are interchangeable, that it's okay to say UX, UI. It's not. It's damaging. It would really help the discipline if folks would get over that and start representing it the proper way and not doing that. They're just repeating what they heard, most folks. They don't really even know and haven't looked at it from a critical thinking perspective at all. UX is not just one thing. Don't be misdirected to think that it is. And a lot of people do think that it is. But if they do, that's problematic. And so if you're going to be a UXer, and we're all leaders, whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, we're all leaders and we're all ambassadors of the discipline. So when you allow people to think that UX is one thing or you you present UX as if it's one thing, that needs to be reeled in. And that is misdirection. Now you become the ambassador of misdirection in a case such as that. Don't do that. Don't be misdirected to think that UX is design thinking or that design thinking is UX. It is not. Don't get misdirected to think that you're doing UX if there is no user data, user sentiments associated with the work that you're doing. And folks, don't be misdirected to look at issue that ranks 8,000 or higher in the UX world and then and then elevate it and make it issue number two or number three. It's not. When we address things in a way that doesn't match their true importance, then when that happens, then somebody's been misdirected. And now the energy that goes toward the misdirected item can't be used to address the thing that needs attention And now that problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we all suffer the consequences as a result of that today. So I'm I'm calling you out today and and charging you to make sure that you overcome UX misdirection. Uh, If not, uh, you'll end up feeling it. The question is, would you be sensitive enough to recognize it? So folks, that's all the time that we have today. This was a special edition you could think of uh, uh, of the world of UX but we're thank you for hanging in there and listening to us today and folks we are approaching show number 100 uh, uh, a milestone episode number 100 is coming up soon we'll try to do something special for that day but that's all the time we have for today we hope you enjoyed it hope you got a lot out of it so until next time this is the host of the world of UX Darren Hood signing off Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.